0: This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Verse 20. Then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. And on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands I saw one like the Son of Man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white, as white wool, white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined as in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining with full force. When I saw him, I fell at his feet feet as though dead. But he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, and the living one. I was dead, and see, I am alive forever and ever, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. Now write what you have seen, what is and what is to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Let's pray together. Gracious and almighty God, we ask that you would send, our, send your spirit to open up our hearts, to soften our hearts, to prepare us to hear uh, your word for us, for this day and forevermore. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. This pandemic uh, of 2020, it's pushed us to this this new time in history. And and standing in this moment, at at the edge of this new moment, we feel the the unease of the uncertainty, the, the lack of familiar routines and rhythms, the lack of control that we thought we had over our futures just a year ago, all that's kind of gone away. I was talking on Zoom this week with a friend who's from from Ghana. He's a week with a friend who's from from Ghana. He's Ghanaian. Um, And he was telling me that despite really low uh, death rates in Ghana, that all the other things happening with COVID in Ghana has radically transformed their society. He was telling me how in this incredibly short period of time, just in six months, Ghana has seen more social change than he's ever seen in his lifetime. He told me that simple things like online work, uh, distance learning... All things that had never been a part of Ghanaian culture are now becoming the norm. And then he was telling me how he sees the sort of tentacles of Western tech companies creeping into Ghanaian homes and businesses and schools, pulling their African culture closer and closer to the West, transforming the social fabric of their society. So this this new season, this new uncertain edge of history has been we feel it kind of pushed upon us and thrust upon us, thrust upon us. Both as a society, as churches, as individuals, as families, we all feel it. We all feel that we're standing on this edge. We feel like we're this ship at sea kind of entering into this bank of fog. So uncertain, so so uneasy about what might be on the other side. And interestingly, the book of Revelation it brings this other edge up to us as well—a sort of un, uh, an edge that we don't expect. It's this different edge. It brings us to the edge of this radical, sometimes unsettling, but ult- radical, sometimes unsettling, but ultimately good future and history that God has for us. And at the center of this history is the crucified, risen, and reigning Jesus. It's this Jesus who's ruling on the throne of our world, despite all that we see around us. And John's vision of Jesus is this good yet very severe vision of Jesus right in our face. And it's confronting us in many ways with this otherworldly holiness and goodness of Jesus and of God. And in this time when we wonder, who in the world is on the throne of this world? Who is, and not just who's on the throne, but who is going to guide us out out of this mess that we're all in? What is going to guide us out of this mess? We feel so uncertain about that. And as a church, as God's people, this vision and revelation is reminding us that however we find our way out through this fog, it's going to be with Jesus at the center. It's going to be with Jesus ruling and reigning over our lives. And and how how are we going to find our way through, and how does this vision sort of guide us through this time? Well, John's vision of Jesus, and the way it moves us forward, is that first the vision disorients us. So first we're disoriented, and then we're reoriented toward a new future and a new path. So this vision, it it disorients us. It brings this other history to bear on us, and it disorients us, and then it reorients and then it reorients us to help help us find our way through this fog that we all feel that we're living in, this future that we're so uncertain about. And so first, this vision of Jesus, it's disorienting. John's vision of Jesus is meant in many ways to kind of undo us. It's meant to expose us and unveil some places in our lives and in our world that we're uncomfortable with. As John, Sarah preached last week about John hearing the words to, to write down this vision that he sees. And so he's, he, he's heard these words earlier in Revelation, and then in our passage today, he turns toward that voice, and he sees these seven lampstands, and we find out that later that these are the churches, and we're also meant to think when we in the tabernacle, the sort of center of God's presence among his people. And then immediately, there's this dazzling, radiant figure, blazing in bright whites and golds, this polished bronze at his feet, uh, this voice that sounds like uh, a swirling ocean, and his eyes like flames and a sword coming out of his mouth. And here we're meant to think Daniel and the passage that was read earlier of. We have these scenes of this throne room and this this kind of courtroom where we have this ancient of days and this son of man, and this is Daniel when the people of God are in the middle of exile in Babylon, seemingly without hope, and Daniel gets this radical vision of this king who's going to come and have dominion over all things and all people. It conflicted with his situation that he was, situation that he was living in, but that's the vision he was given. And here we have John kind of pointing back and saying, Jesus... Is that one that Daniel was prophesying about, and so this radical, radiant figure of Jesus, John falls down on his face as though dead, in worship and in fear. So this this Jesus, this is not this is not the buddy Jesus, where you know the little bobblehead Jesus that you put on your car and your on your dashboard. This isn't the um, The Jesus is my homeboy hat that my best friend wore in his early 20s very proudly. No, this is the cosmic Christ. This is the transcendent Jesus. Through through his death and his resurrection who reigns over all of human history. Jesus, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the one the Bible tells us by whom all things were created And this is the Jesus to whom all of history is moving. Now, the Bible definitely talks about Jesus as our friend and as our brother. We have the Jesus of Luke at the end of Luke who walks along the dirt path to Emmaus with his disciples, patiently explaining to them about himself. So the Bible talks about Jesus as our friend and our brother also talks about Jesus as our savior and redeemer and he's the transcendent lord over all creation all the different authors of scripture give us this full picture with so many different angles on who Jesus is brother friend savior redeemer transcendent lord over all creation and in revelation we get lord over all creation and in revelation we get this sort of apocalyptic angle it fills out this picture of Jesus. And when Sarah was preaching last week, she mentioned this word apocalypse or apocalyptic, and it's this notion of sort of pulling back the curtain on this heavenly view of reality. It's this revealing, it's this unveiling. And it shows us this full picture of who Jesus was and is and will be. And in, in, in this apocalyptic type of literature that, that John is using, these visions that he's been getting, it, it uses the, lots of symbolism and images to mix the literal and the figurative. We have Jesus, John points to it, who has died and rose again, so it's connected to the realities of history. But then we have this Jesus with eyes that look like flames and this sword coming out of its mouth. It's meant to stimulate, to to see the fullness of who Jesus is. In these visions, they correspond with reality. They connect with reality, but they do so mixing in these symbolic images and visuals. I think this this type of apocalyptic way of describing Jesus, in many ways, has parallels with visual arts, where artists feel free reign to mix. Images and symbols together, mix different worlds to give this f- different full picture of reality that we might not otherwise get if we just read historical narrative or a philosophical explanation. Now, my wife and I, we occasionally go and visit art museums and The challenge is that we're very different museum goers, and this actually caused some marital conflict early in our our marriage. Um, My wife, she's definitely the better museum goer. She takes time in each of the rooms. She sees all the important pictures. She lingers at the right places. When I go through a museum, she's probably laughing right now as she's watching on, uh, on the live stream. When I go to a museum, I catch a few of the important works But I try to make my way as quickly as possible to the cafe to get a cup of coffee, to put my feet up. And then I like to get like a book or a pamphlet describing the art. So I'll read about it, some of the art that I did or didn't see. But I try to get to the cafe as soon as I can. One work, though, that has probably captivated me more than any other work of art I have ever seen is Pablo Picasso's Guernica, which is at the Reina Sofia Museum in Madrid. Picasso painted this picture in the heart of the Spanish Civil War in 1937. He did it in response right after General Francisco Franco invited the the German Air Force to firebomb uh, the Spanish town of Guernica in the north of Spain. Most of the men in the town were uh, away fighting, so most of the people in the town were the elderly and women and children. Most of the people who died were women and children. And it was seen as this international tragedy. And so Picasso painted this picture. It's over 25 feet wide and over, te- over 10 feet high. And it's this closed-in room with all the chaos and the tragedy and the suffering of that day put on this canvas, and it mixes creatures and beasts and bulls and people and human and children, and there's this chaos and death and carnage. Full of symbols and images, and there's this woman who almost floats. This woman who's who is terrified almost floats in through the through the window, and she's holding out a, and she's illuminating the chaos that she sees before her, bearing witness to what happened. And the combined weight of these images bring the brings the event uh, before your face in a way that words or simple narrative description couldn't. And apocalyptic visions in the Bible, they're, they're trying to work a similar thing in, in us. They're, they're trying to draw out this angle on reality that we wouldn't otherwise see. And turning back to the, the vision that John has of Jesus, there's many symbolic layers to this vision. The vision portrays him as king, ruling over all of creation, in many ways contrasting him to Caesar at the time. But then there's also this notion of him being the judge, exposing the sin and evil and corruption around him. Um, and then this sword that's coming out of his ma- and then this sword that's coming out of his mouth shows that he is going to fight and contend to bring holiness and goodness and purity to his people. And Jesus as judge, it points to a broader picture of of a broader purpose of the Book of Revelation. Revelation isn't just about sort of unveiling a fuller image of God. It's also meant to unveil our world as well. So it doesn't just reveal God to us, but it reveals a side of the world that we wouldn't otherwise see. It reveals the sort of broken and evil systems of this world. And, and Revelation, in the right in front of it, has the Roman Empire directly in view when John is writing about this. Um, he has the Roman Empire in view with its sort of reinforcing mix of abuse of human power, um, economic sips power in place and keep the, power, keep the powerful in power, all with this sort of subtle religious system meant to keep it all working. And Caesar, with his very shrewd understanding of imagery, uses imagery to kind of maintain people's allegiance to him and his empire. In many ways, similar to the way companies and corporations use our sort of image-rich world that we live in to keep our own allegiances to them. So Revelation doesn't just pull the curtain back on God, but it pulls back the curtain on the world, its systems, and our own lives. The later messages to the seven churches in Revelation, in many ways, are in part, John and God showing the people where they have kind of become complicit in this evil empire, in this system, where their, allegiances have shifted, where their allegiances have shifted from Jesus in many ways to Caesar and his evil systems. And so like John's response to this opening vision where he falls down as though dead, these cutting, piercing visions of Jesus are meant in part to disorient us. They're meant to undo us in a way. They're meant to expose us and unveil those places and parts of our lives that are caught up in these evil and corrupt systems of this world. And so as we, as this church, as God's people, as we try to stare in and through the fog of this next season that's coming before us, Before we move forward into it, we need to let this radical vision of Jesus undo us a bit, open us up, unveil those hidden places, Um, and not just in our own lives, but in our families, in uh, in our church, in our society and in our world, to unveil those broken places So don't just rush back to normalcy, to sports practices and school schedules and church schedules and work schedules, as important as all those things are. Don't just jump back into potentially racist work structures and social structures. Don't just jump back into consuming ourselves and our world to death. Let's pause with Jesus. Let's pause with Jesus. Let's let's let this this radical, otherworldly love and holiness undo us a bit during this season. Before we venture, we need to let it undo us before we venture out into that fog again. So I encourage you, take some time this week or the next for just some prayerful self-reflection or friend reflection with a friend or family reflection, church reflection. Take some time. Um, Ask God what he has been showing you during this season of pandemic. The pandemic season has done some unveiling itself in us, I think, already. And so we need to let the sort of unveiling of the pandemic season and this radical vision of Jesus that is unveiling other things, come together and do some good work in our hearts and our lives before we, before teens, before we try to venture out into the fog without a guide. And if you're, if you're in this season and if you're struggling with anxiety and depression, as I know many people are, just an encouragement about self-reflection during this time, especially if you're struggling with those things, don't do it alone. Um, I've been through my own dark seasons in the past with anxiety, and I know that even well-intended Christian reflection by ourselves can lead us into worse places sometimes. And so if you're in a season of anxiety or depression, find a partner during this time, whether it's a pastor, or maybe first a professional is what you need first, but, but find a partner to walk through this season with. But we need to let Jesus do good work of um, a sort of disorienting us before we move forward into this next season. But importantly, the same vision from Jesus that that disorients us, uh, that causes us to pause and to stop and and meets us face to face, that same vision that disorients us reorients us toward the future. So that same vision that unsettles us, it redirects us. And and it's almost even as God is starting to um, unsettle us and to break up those hard places in our hearts, already that breaking up is starting to move us in a new direction, Jesus doesn't just leave us in our brokenness. He helps guide us forward into a new place. Um, he wants to lead all those broken places into his healing love. That's the, the same sort of brilliant cutting clarity that breaks into our lives is that, that light and that clear lamp that's out before us in the fog guiding us into the future. We meet Jesus at the very beginning of John's vision at at these opening chapters of Revelation. And we meet Jesus at the very end where God and the Lamb are on the throne in the new heavens and the new earth. Revelation begins with Jesus and it culminates with Jesus. With Jesus at the end pouring out his living streams of water for the healing of the nations, wiping out disease and death and corruption from the face of the earth. Jesus is the beginning and he's our end. He's he's the beginning of our journey with God and he's the end of our journey with God. Um, we um, We never outgrow Jesus. We only go deeper in and further toward him. And so as we stand on the edge of this new season, sort of staring into the fog of the future, Let's allow the transcendent reigning Jesus to disorient our lives and then to reorient us into a new path in the future where he is on the throne, where he is reigning. And we need that clear, piercing, guiding lamp in front of us because so much chaos and uncertainty is around us. Jesus is the one who will guide us forward. And as Jesus guides us through that fog of this next year, Revelation reminds us that on the other side of that bank of fog is God's good future. And risen Lord Jesus waiting there to to welcome us together to his feast, to a a packed house where we're kind of nestled together uh, with each other, with friends and family in in the faith and and. Please, God, strangers as well, packed in with God, all relishing and enjoying the grace and goodness of God. That is the future that is promised us. Let's pray. Gracious and heavenly Father, guide us by the light of Jesus Christ. Open up, soften our hearts to you, Show us those places of sin and brokenness in our life, in our church, in our world. And then guide us through in our world. And then guide us through the fog into a new path with Jesus with us and Jesus standing before us. And as. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church, or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.